Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 17, which begins with Thor telling Heimdall to tell no one where they're going and ends with Heimdall warning Thor. Joining us again, we have Chrissy Lenz and Nathan Blackwell from the Most Excellent 80s Movies Podcast. And so let me ask you two both, as part of your love of all things 80s, do 80s comics fall into that or do you kind of get into the MCU through other ways? My brother was the the, the comic book owner and uh, my younger brother. And so I would leaf through his stuff and especially the books, like the big compendium books of the old, like original, like first 10 Spider-Man or, you know, or or like, you know, like they would put out those books that would just talk about the whole canon and all the different characters and villains. Like I it's weird. I was I was really into superheroes, but it was really more superhero culture and world building than the specific comics mm. i can see that yeah i never knew from comics to me thor was uh from adventures and babysitting and was mainly a car mechanic <laughs> um. looked like vincent d'onofrio right speaking of most excellent yes, 80s movies yeah, i was like you mean vincent <laughs> right. d'onofrio from adventures and babysitting yeah i i know oh my god i forgot he was in that movie yeah yep. I mostly just remember the, ba- the babysitting blues. So, well, we'll get it's, more it, into your thoughts and all that right after this quick message. So how do you think you would handle traveling through the Bifrost? Where do you think that Laufey's throne is actually facing? And what's your opinion of how they treated Idris Elba in this film? We would love to get your thoughts and feedback and have you join us in the conversation. Join us over in our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge. We would love to have you jump into the conversation and join us there. We are also on Instagram and Twitter. Just go to truestory.fm slash Minute and click on the link for the social of your choice. What, what most grabbed you about this minute? Um, probably getting a big close-up of giant Gimli. <laughs> A.K.A. Ray <laughs> Stevenson. And um, I'm sure you guys have talked about the... Uh, the Warriors three before, but um, in revisiting Thor, that's one of the things that stands out. It's like, oh yeah, these guys, these you know, guys, <laughs> they're fun. Like they're, that's one of the things that I like about Marvel in particular is like they sprinkle in these moments of fun of like so you know teasing Loki who so deserves to be teased. Yeah, they're a little bit of a Greek chorus in this movie. I mean, not they don't do enough to be that, but they kind of have, especially because. There's a little bit to try to give them some different, you know, identification, but they really just kind of seem like these three people. You know, it's yeah. hard to one really loves food. One really loves himself. <laughs> one just loves battle. But like eh, it, it's kind, kind of not much beyond that. They're, they're kind of like these secondary like, oh, it's the cup and the frog in the Disney movie. It's like, oh, they had to shovel in just like four more characters into this. And like the, the it's like, who's going to be this? You know, it, they seem like these little background characters that you know that when it came around to eventually dispatching or slaughtering them a la like transformers the movie in thor ragnarok it's like oh yeah those guys <laughs> because yeah. yeah that's the interesting thing is that even though you know there may be a, like a big gap and uh, of seeing some of the thor movies you still kind of like are up to date with thor and odin and loki and the characters that really kind of are with us 
you know, that they kind of get sprinkled around through the MCU and you remember them. But um, sometimes the, the these secondary little characters that are just made for like the Thor movies or maybe like and, and that's the thing, even in the Iron Man movies, I don't feel like there was any superfluous characters like there was in this one. Well, they definitely feel like characters that came. I mean, they are very specifically characters that came from the comics. They weren't in Norse mythology. Mm. And even in the comics, they feel kind of a little more that they're just there to kind of help Thor and <laughs> and what he needs with Carry his luggage. adventures and stuff. Yeah, it's it's like they they're written weirdly. And honestly, I'm starting to feel like Kenneth Branagh just really didn't like these characters. Yeah, and, because like when you read the script and you see how much more there is of them in the script, it's like I think Kenneth Branagh is at a point where he's like, let's just cut out as much as we possibly can of those characters. Just keep what's necessary so that we don't have to uh, deal with all their uh, their really kind of low end uh, comedy is what we end up getting <laughs> right otherwise yeah. and it's funny because they're like i do wish we had them as more developed more interesting characters yeah. but i think you're kind of right there's just it's now been a little while since we've talked about uh what's happening back on earth but we're also getting you know jane hangs out with two people uh between darcy and uh, the doctor you know we're getting so many of these per uh, as you said, the kind of side superfluous characters introduced, there isn't really much room for more. And given how badly they're written in the script that got deleted, I'm perfectly fine <laughs> with Randall's decisions here. Yeah, because I mean, the conversation when when uh, when they walk past Loki, Volstag is just like, "What happened? Your silver tongue turned to lead." And then Loki Burn. is just like, "Get me off this bridge before it cracks under your girth." Volstag and Fandral share a laugh. And it's just like, mm. God, it's just like all this jokes about this stuff. It's just, ugh, just too much. So I'm glad that it's yeah. thinned out. Yeah, I like it better with Loki just being like bummed out because he, he that really puts him in the spot of being this little brother who is dragged along and, you know, can't get out of his mm-hmm. older brother's shadow and is always being picked on by his big brother's friends. Like you, at least if you're me, you're you sort of feel for him. Especially knowing what we do now of that, you know, this whole thing is Loki kind of trying to set up Thor for a fall. You know, often you'll see that moment where like someone's betraying someone they know and like they start to maybe even have second thoughts, but then the person they're betraying does something really awful again. They're like, yep. Like that, that's kind of what I get from Loki here is like, yeah, if you ever had any doubts about sending all these people into trouble, like, yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, they're, they're not nice. To, they're not cool to him, you know. It's such a weird moment, though, because like Loki gets nowhere with uh, with Heimdall right here and and Thor kind of interrupts. But Thor seems so mad. And I'm like, is he mad that Loki was getting nowhere? Like Loki is like, leave it to me and then got nowhere. But he was kind of getting somewhere because Heimdall seems like I'm going to let you by because I'm I'm pissed the fact that these frost giants got by me. So I'm so confused by the start of this minute. Like, why is Thor like so angry here? I think Thor is just angry. He's always shoving ahead, like especially in these in these min in minutes that we're looking at, like Thor is always like shoving to get into the front of the mm-hmm. pack, you know, which is his place. His, yeah. his growth as a character is he's very impatient, but but he's also very much kind of like I am a princeling, and you have to follow me. I know <laughs> what we're going to do, what is best. You know, stop dicking around. And yeah, and what's true and yeah. what's not true. Like he's so convinced of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't get the sense that he's mad at either Loki or Heimdall. I, I think what you're saying, he's just so... Every minute that he's not slaughtering frost giants is a minute where <laughs> the things that Odin said are still in his head. You know, he has to prove Odin wrong. He has mm-hmm. to show that he is the rightful king, you know, the heir to the throne. And it, that's such a big theme of all the Marvel uh, movies, I think, is like these characters who mm-hmm. have something to prove versus yeah. like eventually you get to Captain Marvel who's like, I have nothing to prove. And it's like, yeah, you don't. Um, Cause that's yeah. the journey is like to get over this uh, raging STP. Yeah. I, I also think, and, and tell me if I'm digging too deep here, cause we're all asking about sort of Loki, like Loki seems like what, wouldn't he know that Heimdall would, would not love this kind of behavior from him. We know that like before we were talking about, you do weren't on this, but in the minutes where, uh, Thor says yes to Loki's plan, but then says, and Loki, you're coming with us. And Loki clearly looks shocked. I wonder if maybe he's trying to fail so badly and annoy Heimdall so badly that maybe either Heimdall says, like, you all can go, but Loki can't, or, you know, that Thor is like, Loki, you're useless. We're going on ahead. Like, am I reading too much into it, or is it possibly this is one more step of Loki's manipulation? That's an interesting interesting perspective i hadn't i hadn't thought about that yeah that is interesting i i feel like they you know especially looking back and on the loki we know now it just seems like he and the thor we know now it, it just seems like they're using young man moves like they're still full of a lot of confidence but they've got a couple of stumbles in their in yeah, what they're doing fair. Well, it it does make me wonder, like, was he trying? Because, I mean, and again, this was a deleted scene where we had um, Loki, as they were getting ready to ride off, Loki went and talked to one of the guards. We don't know what he was saying. We'll find out later. Hogan sees him speaking to the guard. Is he trying to get the word? And even with Heimdall, is he trying to get the word to Odin basically as fast as possible to, like, shut down this mission and to get Thor into trouble? Like, does he even care if they go to to Jotunheim at this point? Or does, is his goal just getting Thor in trouble? Oh, so maybe he's kind of just stalling. Like, he just wants the conversation yeah. to be drawn out. That's really yeah. possible. Yeah. It's interesting, because I feel like whatever whatever ends up happening, it still finds a way to work into Loki's plans. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like he's not going to lose, no matter mm-hmm. what. And I think we mentioned it, and that, that actually plays very much into the mythology, where it's not that Loki plans 10 steps ahead all the time. It's that he's a very good improviser. You know, whatever yeah. happens, he can twist it. And that's why uh, I love so, him so, so dearly, did, because he's an improviser. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. If you're constantly improvising and redirecting and changing your plan, and then it works out, then, of course, it was meant to be from the beginning, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember right, right. I took an improv class a long time ago, and that was one of the things they taught us was, you know, like, everything is always part of the plan. You know, you always say yes. And I think that's uh, very much Loki. Right. So, so in the same regard, uh, Thor then says to Heimdall, you know, tell no one where we've gone. Right. And I thought it's very telling, A, that he seems to think Heimdall will listen to that order. And also that Heimdall quite pointedly doesn't say a word in response. He doesn't even, like, acknowledge that Thor said it. And Thor doesn't even notice that. He just is so, you know, it's like that spoiled kid who thinks everyone works for him. He's convinced he can give the order and just walk right off and doesn't even pay attention yeah. to the fact that Heimdall's probably like, whatever, kid, I'm certainly not doing that. Right. I, I, I kind of felt like that moment to where it was almost the power, sh- that power shift of them growing up. But again, it might be me reading into it of, of 
the the Thor and Loki I know now, and then seeing them in this younger form, but of almost like the adult, you know, who um, who supervises the kids, and now the kids are old enough to be power more powerful than the supervisor. You know, it's almost kind of like Thor was like flexing there, and Heimdall is like keeping his dignity, but he's kind of thinking to himself, he's right. <laughs> There's actually a slight power dynamic of them being equals or them now kind of being in charge. It's interesting because like Heimdall, I mean, he carries so much ability to control the situation, but clearly still sides with Thor and agrees to go along with it because Thor says that, tells him, you know, what's what, and then just walks past. Like they all go past and head inside. And Heimdall, all he really has to do is just stand there. I mean, they can't go anywhere unless he actually agrees to it and comes inside and and, uh, operates the Bifrost. So uh, it's interesting that even even with that, the way that Thor speaks to him and kind of commands him and just walks off, Heimdall still, in the end, ends up agreeing and just kind of goes along with it. I had something that's totally neither here nor there, and you can absolutely just completely eliminate from this (laughs) podcast altogether. But and it may be showing my own um, lack of knowledge, but when he is standing there and he's like, you know, got the sword and he's like uh, standing there and he's got the big winged headdress, it looks like the Steppenwolf character. Am I? Is it? Am I getting the oh, right character? Yeah. Like that? He just looks. It's yeah. big shoulders. Yes, yeah, I can see that. It's from the DC. Yeah. The big DC bad guy mm-hmm. is like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. so like big Y shaped head and they can yeah. do a spinoff, Steppen Brothers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please know that character was one of the worst parts of a very very bad movie <laughs> but yes um but yeah no i definitely i can see that as well and so so then we get this like great shot of them walking into the observatory and, and, and what do you think is going on here because we see these kind of like semicircles it looks, looks almost like a labyrinth except it's perfectly symmetrical and they kind of divide up and they're walking but they're not walking straight lines like they're kind of walking in the semicircle around what what do you get out of those scenes that we get there well clearly it again just goes to show how much Kenneth Branagh loves playing with camera angles and camera position because the fact that he goes for this god's eye view shot directly at the top of i guess the dais upon which is the kind of the keyhole that that uh, Heimdall will use to operate it mm-hmm. it but it creates such a uh, I don't know it it's kind of like may, it's a very dizzying shot the way that the lines on the floor are and the way the camera moves it's just like this kind of you're looking into this giant god eye is kind of what it looks like it's such a mm-hmm. such an interesting angle I think he's just playing with a really fascinating angle mm-hmm. here yeah and then when the um the Bifrost so what is the, the the Bifrost? Is that everything, or is it also the actual like machine that's spinning around? Is that is that have a specific name? So, well, the machine that we're in uh, is Heimdall's observatory, okay. and which actually the actual name is the Himmenbjörg, if you were wondering. Um, so they're inside the Himmenbjörg, and it's this big observatory which was invented for the film because in the comics and even in Norse mythology, I mean, it literally is just the like they hop on a rainbow and zip <laughs> off to some other place. On a magical pony. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> With the unicorn. Lucky charms uh, behind th- them. <laughs> <laughs> this is very much a, a design for the film where they wanted to create something that, and it was so this, it was this big building. And it, I, I don't know, I, I love the way that they designed it where it has like the, the building almost looks bifurcated, like right down the middle. 
from the entire sphere ball of the shell of the room and the turret. And then it's on, on kind of like, uh, you know, it's attached at an, an axles across the middle, but it, the whole exterior spins from this machinery that operates from the bottom. And it's, I, you know, what, what happens when Heimdall inserts uh, Hoford into the into the keyhole? I guess it's Bifrost energy that is released, and uh, that Bifrost energy is what comes out. And uh, interestingly, they designed it to look like the shape of kind of a Yggdrasil lightning look in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, the when the whole room and the machine start spinning around, that's such a cool effect. I, I felt like really that was is. so well done. And I definitely got the same impression you did. It it, it feels like there's two, uh, two distinct parts to it with that observatory in the middle. And I, I think the idea here is that the part that leads from Asgard out to the observatory that kind of goes from day into the starry night, that's the rainbow bridge. And then the Bifrost is what's shot out of mm-hmm. the um uh, kind of round thing with the, yes, it looks phallic, but there's another comparison I'll make in a second. Uh, you know, uh, it's the turret, yeah. The turret, yeah. The turret's the best way to describe it. Um, so I think that was, I think that's what's being gone for, but it's definitely not kind of really clarified. Mm-hmm. They they do say it somewhere, and I, I can't find where I wrote it down. But basically, the rainbow bridge contains the Bifrost energy, and and it all converges right here. And somehow, this is pulling that energy from the rainbow bridge and using it to generate these Bifrost portals. Um, so it's it, so there is a connection between the two mm. that they're they're trying to make in the film, and they're doing it in a way where it's designed to basically look like a wormhole, as opposed mm-hmm. to them just kind of galloping off on a rainbow through space. <laughs> that was in the first draft. <laughs> I, I will say, and this will show my geek leanings, and so perhaps other people don't have this image like embedded in their head. But when I see that turret, like the very like the round kind of dome with the the gun whatever it is shooting sticking out of it (laughs) to me it looks so much like the ion cannon in empire strikes back Mm -hmm. oh sure i'm guessing maybe 10 listeners know what i'm talking about there but uh nathan at least seems like you you know what i'm getting at (laughs) exactly there we go i have a feeling probably more people than you realize (laughs) (laughs) i think you're speaking to the right crowd (laughs) and and i do love it and this is kind of what uh we were all talking about in the last minute i noticed this time as i was rewatching once the observatory starts spinning, you can hear, like, it sounds like machinery spinning up, you know? So it's really, again, mm-hmm. this idea of, yes, it's powered by a sword, and it looks kind of like, ooh, spooky magic, but it's very much technological. It's, yeah. But it's also, it's still, like, to me at least, steampunky, like all of the gears and the concentric circles and the keys mm-hmm. and the and the movement and all of it seems like like the royalist, fanciest uh, steampunk. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I love how the lightning looks like, you know, those things that you touch the little glass balls that have the little electric thing on the inside and you touch it and the little electricity shoots from the center up to where your fingers are touching the glass. Like it looks like you're inside one of those things, the way that the electricity is just like shooting across from the center all the way to almost like the little centers of each of those concentric circles that are all over the walls. Mm, it's yeah. such an interesting look. We should come up with a like cosplay group that does instead of steampunk, it's bifrost punk. So it's like <laughs> I like it. Asgardian <laughs> punk. That's like right. It. That's right. Well, I love how Heimdall, like, he's got his big sword, but now he's got like the the hilt of it or the cross guard has some other they looked like hand guards that were on the sword handle but it actually now that he flips it over you see oh it's actually handles that he can hold on to that he uses when he's 
uh, inserting the sword. So it's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting way that that sword is very specifically designed for this. Again, it's a keyblade. That's what it's <laughs> Uh, and, and once again, uh, clearly this was done intentionally for podcasts like ours, but we, for the second time in a row, have Heimdall about to give a, uh, a big important <laughs> comment and gets cut off right at the minute. Remember, point. the most That's important right. thing that you must know is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Any other last comments folks have about this minute? Um, so make, I, I started off making fun of, um, giant fat um gimli but then just yeah looking up his his um imdb page like you know that ray stevenson he's like the punisher he like plays like really really tough dudes like really scary dudes and uh, so props to him for for going for it you know for the uh the silly kind of butt of the joke character you know, as a fellow uh, rotund ginger, I will describe him as thick rather than fat. You know, that there's <laughs> an honorable girth to his warriorness. Uh, here comes the honorable girth. Sturdy. Sturdy. There you go. Sturdy. Oh, there you yes. go. There you go. I had a question uh, that I, I don't think will ever get answered in any of the films, unfortunately. But I'm so curious about the way that this mechanism works because every time we see it operate it always points the same way right the turret comes down and points out into space and blast off you go zipping off to a different realm but does it point it in a different direction like if they were going to go to midgard would it kind of stop like at a three quarter three quarters of the way down if they, they were going to niflheim like you know where's where's the how does it aim? It's a series I'm of very mirrors. confused by that. Mirrors. <laughs> like they have mirrors uh-huh. in space yeah. that they shoot at. <laughs> now I want to see that. I want to see all the little dwarves like from Legend kind of positioning all the it's just one dude. <laughs> mirrors in space. Oh, or like in Labyrinth when the big thing goes by and there's one little guy on a bike. Yep. Right. Uh-huh. Pedaling behind <laughs> it. Didn't look great for the montage. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great cut there. All right. Well, thank you both again so much for being a part of this. Um, Definitely, folks should check out your podcast, the most excellent '80s movies podcast. But if people want to find other stuff you're doing, where can they look? Well, Chrissy, uh, you actually have an improv theater, don't you? Tell us more. I do. Speaking of improv, if you want to learn to be more like Loki, uh, please look me up at the Neighborhood Comedy Theater, uh, which is at nctphx on all of the medias that are social increase your lokiness by 70 percent, guaranteed guaranteed <laughs> now i understand why your face lit up when i talked about being in an improv class long ago <laughs> yep that's me and nathan you should always find nathan and all of squishy studios offerings they are <laughs> they are worth watching always so yeah the uh, my film projects um uh, squishystudios.com that's the easiest way we've got youtubes and the facebooks and all that other stuff but squishystudios.com is the easiest way awesome well thank you both so much and to all those folks who are listening thank you as well for being a part of this and have a great day until next time true believers Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music